Amateur Traveler, episode 853. Today, the Amateur Traveler talks about sea lions and whales, windsurfers and hot springs, deserts and desserts, as we go to Baja California Sur in Mexico. This is Chris Christensen from Amateur Traveler. Let's talk about a road trip in Baja California Sur. I'd like to welcome to the show Rebecca Agowich, the ambivalent part-time expat. And you can learn more about her at her Substack page, which is rebeccaagowich.substack.com. If you want to know how to spell that, I'll be putting that in the show notes. Rebecca, welcome to the show. Thanks very much, Chris. And Rebecca has come to talk to us about the southern part of the Baja Peninsula in Mexico. That's right. Rebecca, what's your connection with Baja Sur? Well, the past couple winters, I have spent about two to three months down there each year. So I have gotten to know the area pretty well. And each time I go, I discover more things about it. Excellent. And why should someone go to Baja Sur? Someone should go to Baja California Sur for the beautiful nature and outdoor activities that are available, especially if you're interested in water-related activities. So we're talking mm-hmm. diving, snorkeling, sailing, fishing, swimming, boat tours, and seeing all kinds of marine life. And also on the Sea of Cortez side, although now it's called Gulf of California because Cortez has been canceled. Not sure if you're aware of that. <laughs> on okay. The gu- it was called that when I was a kid, <laughs> so it's come back and forth. Oh, really? Yeah. So on the Gulf of California side, especially, you have this amazing and unique juxtaposition of the sea on one side and then the desert on the other side. And it's so striking and so austerely beautiful. And that's why I think people should go. I remember flying down there and just the contrast from the plane of the blue, blue Uh water of the Gulf and the very desert-like landscape, the rugged browns and other colors really was pretty stunning just flying down there. So, Yeah, the water's a gorgeous color. Oh, and I forgot to mention that there is great food there, especially seafood. Okay. Excellent. What kind of itinerary are you going to recommend for us? So what I'm going to recommend is a driving itinerary from Cabo. So flying into Cabo Mm -hmm. and then doing... So we're all the way at the southern tip. Yep. All the way at the southern tip. And from Cabo, I'm not talking about Cabo at all because I haven't spent a ton of time there. And my focus with this itinerary is really on outdoor activities and adventure There are plenty of those to be had in Cabo, I'm sure, but I'm more familiar with other areas. So this itinerary takes you from Cabo San Lucas, where you fly in and you can rent a car, and then you drive northeast to a place called Cabo Pulmo. Cabo Pulmo is a national park and a marine reserve. And spend two nights in Cabo Pulmo. So you can spend one day doing water activities there, if the weather permits, diving, snorkeling. It's a famous reef there. And then on the third day, heading north and then a little bit south to a town in the Sierra de la Laguna Mountains. And this town is called Santiago. And from Santiago, you can do incredible day hike. There's multiple options there, but I'm going to tell you about a specific one I think you should do. Okay. And that'll be just a day trip on your way north to La Paz. 
And La Paz is the capital of Baja California Sur. It's a busy port town. It's very picturesque and much less touristy than Cabo, but still with a lot of amazing things to see. And then, so I'm going to say the third, fourth, and the fifth nights in La Paz with options for some side trips. And then before heading back to Cabo, spend a couple nights. So now we're heading back south in the town of Todos Santos on the Pacific side. Excellent. We are starting us then in the south. So why don't we do it in the order that you presented it? So you're flying into Cabo and then we're driving up to the national park. And I don't know that one. Yeah. So that area, Cabo Pomo, has a very vibrant reef. It is one of only three coral reefs on the west coast of North America, and it's the oldest one. And it's very well known Hmm. for its diving and snorkeling. And it's also got really interesting background. And this area used to be depleted from overfishing and from pearl diving. And then in the 80s, a university in Baja California Sur began to visit the community and work with the local families to study and protect the area. And there was a big turnaround here. They convinced the local people and they all worked together to turn this into a place where they preserve the marine life and make their living out of tourism rather than fishing. And there might still be some fishing that goes on there. I'm not sure. But it was in 1995, they petitioned the government to protect the area, this coalition of people. And it was designated a UNESCO World Heritage Site in 2005. So the town now mainly supports itself through tourism. And it's just a big success story in the world of conservation. Okay. And we're really not that far from the Cabo area. No, not at all. And you can probably get tours to go there out of Cabo San Lucas if you prefer to do that Mm -hmm. rather than drive yourself there. The drive is pretty easy. I haven't actually done that drive. I've driven to there from the north. And it does turn into a dirt road um, past the town of La Ribera. But it's generally most cars can do that. Okay, It's good to check on the road conditions. But and I have some resources that to tell you where you can check on that. But most cars can do that drive, just got to take it slow. Is there a time of year you're going to recommend? We're getting hot summers, but of course, dry summers where we're not going to run into mud in our dirt roads or such. So when are you going to recommend we go? Yeah. So with Cabo Pulmo, the best time of year for diving and snorkeling is summer and fall. So they have the best visibility. Mm -hmm. However, if you're taking a trip to Baja California Sur, it's going to be pretty hot in the summer. And so you have to figure out what's your priority. You can dive there any time of year, but in the winter, December, whatever, through April, you're going to get really possibly windy conditions. So you have to be a little bit flexible. And if diving is your priority, diving and snorkeling, you really need to think about that and plan the best time to go. And that might be summer or fall. Okay. Yeah, I think our one trip down there was in winter, yeah. but we were going to see the whales, the mother and baby whales a little further north from your itinerary there. And then when you're diving in a wetsuit, because the water is deep and cold. Yes. I think there's plenty of places where you can just go yourself and you can snorkel from the beach. Mm-hmm. Caveat is that when I went there, I didn't snorkel there because it was pretty windy. And so I just did some hiking around there. There's okay. 
not like a ton of trails, but there are several miles of trail that are quite beautiful where you can hike up above and get great views of the ocean. And it's really pretty. But I think there's plenty of places to you can snorkel on your own. And there's outfitters there as well. Okay. So we're there mostly for the marine life? Because it's a national marine Yes, park. I would say you're there mostly for the marine life, but I really enjoyed myself when I went for a weekend and just hiked around because it's beautiful. And you definitely don't go there for the nightlife. It's a very small community <laughs> and just sure. very peaceful. Okay. And most of the lodging is just right there close to the beach. And there's nothing too fancy, but yeah, just a very relaxing place to go. And I'm surprised it's not on my radar. It is a UNESCO yeah. World Heritage Site. It wasn't on my radar until I talked to people who spent time down there. Right. Yeah, so that's a great thing. You go to a place, you only know things that are on the tourist radar, really, and then you find sure. out more. <laughs> Excellent. Okay. So we've gone to Cabo Pulmo National Park. Anything else we want to do there, or are we moving on? Yeah, you'll probably, if you're driving from Cabo, you probably won't get there till the afternoon, but then you'll want to spend mm -hmm. the next day, like in the morning, diving or snorkeling. So then, yeah, the next day you'll take off will be day three of your trip after two nights in Cabo Pulmo, and you'll head towards Santiago. And Santiago is in an area called the Sierra de la Laguna mountain range. And this area was not on my radar at all when I traveled to Baja California Sur a couple years ago, because when you think of Baja, you think of the ocean. And this is a mountain range, and it's full of beautiful canyons. And I did an incredible hike here. And I know you like to ask your guests, like, what's the biggest surprise for you in a place? And to me, it was like, mm -hmm. oh, amazing hiking in Baja California Sur, too, as well as the water mm. activities. And this area has a lot of endemic species, and it's been called an ecological treasure house. And there's a biosphere reserve here that was designated mm -hmm. in 1994 by the Mexican government. And by UNESCO also. Oh, okay. Yeah. And so there's an outfitter, which is really run by just one guy. His name is Edgardo, and he runs a company called Baja California Adventures. And okay. I've been out with him twice now, and we went on a hike. Well, both times I've done the same hike, and it's just one of the most incredible hikes I've ever done, really. It takes you through a canyon called San Dionisio Canyon. And both times we've gone out and hiked through this canyon for several hours without seeing any other people. You're traveling along, like following a river, on foot and crossing the river at various times. And then there are all these beautiful pools that you can jump into and swim, just pristine. They're surrounded by granite. And it sometimes reminds me of the Sierra Mountains in California, the beautiful granite. And there's hmm. like natural water slides. Last time we went down this natural water slide and it is incredibly gorgeous. Hmm. And so I highly recommend hooking up with him. He can adjust the tour to your ability, your desire for intensity. If you have a family, he can make it easier, harder. And he does not just hiking, but he can offer mountain biking and kayaking and camping. When I went there this year, we did the hike, but then we also camped out and in his little area that he has in Santiago, where his like his base camp and he cooked us pizza in a pizza oven and we did adobe pottery <laughs> with his wife, and it was really fun. Okay. You mentioned the canyon, and I've forgotten the canyon name already again. 
San Dionisio. And is that a slot canyon or a, a wide? I'm trying to picture what I'm I seeing. I would say that it's a fairly wide canyon. Okay. And he takes you on a loop hike through the bottom of the canyon. And there's a fair amount of scrambling involved in that hike. That's like a, a more rugged side. He has easier ones too. There are not hot springs in that particular hike, but there are hikes he can take you on to hot springs. He also drove us out to a hot springs to which you can theoretically take you t- yourself to. They're called the Santa Rita hot springs. They're absolutely gorgeous. And he's told us, you could drive there yourselves. But then he ended up taking us and we're glad he did because in our little rental sedan, we would not have made it. So it takes a pretty rugged car to get there. <laughs> but he could take you out there and those hot springs were beautiful. They're big and quite warm and you have it to yourself if you go early in the morning. And there's other hot springs in that area, I think, as well. Very cool. More to see in the Santiago area? Mm. I don't know. <laughs> That's the only thing I've done there. Okay. I think we when I looked on. <laughs> on TripAdvisor, it showed like five activities in Santiago, and they're all related to the canyons and the hot springs. Excellent. Okay, so from Santiago, you are moving north. It's about a two-hour drive to La Paz, and you want to make sure not to drive after dark if you can help it in Baja And the main reasons Mm -hmm. are because of animals on the road, like cows or goats. And because there's also these speed bumps called topes that show up at random times, and you don't want to go over those at top speed. The roads, all the roads that I drove on were pretty good, though. So you get into La Paz in late afternoon or early evening after your day trip in Santiago, and... You're going to spend three nights here, according to this itinerary. And mm-hmm. so three three nights isn't very much, really, to see what there is to offer. But what I would recommend doing in those three days is definitely going to Balandra Beach, which is a famous beach. It's very beautiful. It's always ranked among the most beautiful beaches by various magazines and websites. And another very popular thing to do there is to take an island tour. La Paz is surrounded by islands, but there's one that people visit most commonly Mm -hmm. called Isla Espiritu Santo. When you get taken out there, a typical tour out there is like seven hours and costs 2,500 pesos, which is around 100 some bucks. And they also take you snorkeling with sea lions when you go to Isla Espiritu Santo. Some other trips you can do based in La Paz are whale watching, which we can, I'll talk about this in more detail. You glossed over the snorkeling with sea lions, oh. <laughs> and yet I found that a very interesting oh, yeah. experience Did you do that? personally. <laughs> okay. I have done that. I've done that there and then also in the Galapagos. They were more interactive, I would say, yeah. where we were down in the Galapagos, but still it was fascinating being down you're in your snorkel gear, and it's mostly the down here in Baja, it was mostly the pups who were curious okay. and would come up to us. And they would tell us to keep an eye on the bull sea yeah. lions and don't do anything that gets them uncomfortable. But they would nip at your fingers like little puppies, or they would sometimes bounce their nose off your snorkel gear, off your mask. It was just fascinating. And they really did remind you of puppies with their playfulness. And it depends on what mood they're in. Obviously, we had two different groups off the boat we were doing. We were on an uncruise in the area. 
and one group got more activity than the other and because they're wild animals and they do what they want but still a fascinating experience was the water pretty calm when you did it the water was fairly calm we were doing it early in the morning when the water would tend to be calmer it was and colder (laughs) i did do that a long time ago and like you i did it in the galapagos I think after I did it in La Paz and the Galapagos, I think was a little more like the water was a little calmer and I had more interaction with the sea lions in La Paz. It felt a little more chaotic. I think the water must have been choppy that day. Sure. And also a sea lion bit my ex-boyfriend. Now he totally deserved it. But that's like my main (laughs) memory of that trip. I think it was fun, but it felt a little bit chaotic, the snorkeling with the sea lions there. But yeah, people do really like it. I read that the snorkeling with sea lions is a little more relaxing than the snorkeling slash swimming with whale sharks, which is another activity that is popular in Mm -hmm. La Paz. Did you do that when you were there? We did not. It wasn't the right season for it when we were there. I think that's more of a December timeframe sort of Uh experience from what I recall. But so definitely something, if you're interested in doing that, I would look that up and potentially plan around that. Yeah. But no, I have not done that. That sounds pretty amazing. Yeah. Snorkeling with whale sharks is definitely a popular activity. The season ended a little early this year. There weren't that many whale sharks. Oh, is that right? Um, yeah. When they normally, and I'm not sure if that's going to become a regular thing. And they were trying to figure out what had happened to the whale sharks this year. So we'll see what happens with that next year. Yeah. I know when we were trying to time our trip, you couldn't do both snorkel with the whale sharks and then go up to the Mission Bay, I think it is, and go out on the boats and meet the gray whales and the pups or the their calves because oh, it was yeah. two different seasons. One was just after New Year's yeah. and one was just before. And so you just needed to, as with any itinerary, determine what it is that you want to get out of it and then figure out what the best there is for that. And then I want to talk about La Paz itself, but just as far as like other activities Mm -hmm. you can do around there. So whale watching, the season for watching whales is between January and March. And the gray whales are migrating down to Baja and they're breeding down there. And there's several places to go see them. And they're on the Pacific side. So I was yeah. going to say that would be on the Pacific side. So okay, two to thank three you. hours from La Paz, <laughs> there are various places to go. And you can either sign up with okay. a tour, you can drive yourself. And this year I had a really right. incredible experience. I went out to a place called Magdalena Bay. And the, there's a couple locations in Magdalena Bay. That's the one I was trying to think of the name of. Thank you. <laughs> Yeah, there's a couple locations in Magdalena Bay where you can yep. go. And the one we went to was San Carlos. And what happened was that we saw a lot of whales. And I think most tours you see a lot of whales, but the whales would come and just hang out with the boats for long periods of time. And they would interact with right. people and people were petting them. And I know that often... Mm-hmm. We look at pictures of that or we think, oh, that's not healthy. And here in the U.S., they don't let you get that close to the whales. And so we have maybe mixed feelings about that. But being there, it was pretty incredible. And we were talking about that among ourselves. And we realized the whales don't have to be here with the boats. They can swim away if they want to. But they actually seem to like hanging out with people. And the boat captains are very respectful and they don't chase the whales. They get close, but they let the whales right. come to them. They get 
close, but then the whales yeah. have to engage. And this is something they didn't used to do 20 years ago. Apparently, there is a whale, they call the friendly whales, who just started yeah. doing this behavior and bringing her calves up to the boat's when I was there, I did not pet a whale. It's not that I was not willing to, but the whale did not deign yeah. to come to our boat. And so I had to be happy with being 15 yeah. feet away from a gray whale, which I can be pretty happy with that. It yeah. was amazing. But I'd say about half the boats in our group were able to actually just reach right out and touch the crusty surface of a gray whale, which... It's, is crusty. It's with an amazing all sorts experience, of and also to be look to look right in their eye is also. And I'm sure there are pros and cons to doing that. Whether it's good for the whale, or I don't know, but I really enjoyed it. But yeah, it's actually something, that, as far as I understand from there, that the whales started it. Okay, well, they started it, yeah. <laughs> Which is odd, and it's not all the whales. It's definitely not all the whales. There are only some right. that choose to yeah, come over and say Yeah, my friend pointed out that it was probably the males, because the women were, the <laughs> women, the females were too busy taking care of their babies. The males didn't have much to do. When I was there, they said it was a female that had started it. So that yeah, was the story I heard, so, at least. Um, that is an excellent thing to do if you love whales. Yeah. That, is, that is a once-in-a-lifetime yeah, opportunity. <laughs> let's, let's not just say it's, a, yeah, it's it an really amazing is. experience. Yeah. I want to talk a little bit about La Paz itself, too. I think one, one activity that you can't miss doing in La Paz is to stroll along the beach boardwalk, which there is called the Malacan. And so they have a very mm -hmm. long and very beautifully taken care of Malacan. It's like the beating heart of the town at all times mm -hmm. of day, but especially in the evening at sunrise, people are walking along the Malacan. They're biking along the Malacan. There's a very nice bike path that stretches for several miles along the Malacan and beyond. And you can rent bikes on the Malacan. And so there's just all kinds of people out there enjoying themselves. And it's so pretty because you've got the beach on one side and the sunset and or whatever time of day you're going. There are things to see and it's really a quintessential La Paz experience. And of course, there are all kinds of restaurants and places to get drinks and whatnot along the Malacan as well. And the one thing that might take people by surprise with La Paz is how old a city it is. Because it is older than most cities in the U.S. Mm -hmm. It goes back to the 1500s. So it really is an ancient, an old historic city by American yeah. standards. And it's so. got a nice mix of tourists and actual Mexican people living their lives there. There's a lot of commerce there. Mm -hmm. There's a port there. There's a busy fishing industry. So it doesn't feel mm -hmm. overly touristy, but it's got a lot of great amenities. So you definitely want to spend time strolling on the Malacan, biking. I biked a lot there. I rent a bike when I live there, and I'm always biking along the Malacan. You can bike out to some beaches nearby. Belandra Beach, which is the very world's most beautiful beach, mm -hmm. you need to drive or take a bus out there. <laughs> um, it's not that far. Another okay. fun beach to visit is Tecolote Beach which is a little past Belandra Beach. What direction is that? Is that going west, I think? And yeah, you can take a bus out there or you can, if you have your car, since this is a driving itinerary, you can take a car out there. But there's some things to pay attention to with Belandra Beach. They limit the number of people that could come in at a certain time. 
So you just have to research that a little bit when they're there. And Belandra Beach doesn't have any services, really. So if you go out there for a day, bring your own snacks, your own okay. drinks. Tecalote Beach, though, is not quite as picturesque as Belandra, but... Uh, it has all the beach restaurants. And with Belandra, one really cool thing is it's a very shallow, protected bay, and it's just gorgeous, white sand, and it's so shallow that you can walk for a long way in the water. And I would recommend walking around till you get hmm. to, you'll, there'll be a bunch of people when you're first walking, and you keep walking, and then there's a beautiful, they call it the mushroom rock. There's a beautiful rock formation, yeah. And then if you keep it. walking mm-hmm. even further, you get to a beach that's absolutely beautiful and there's usually no one on it and you can just hang out there and swim there and again the water might be cold for people at during the winter that's the best time to visit because the air temperature is pleasant mm-hmm. but the water can be chilly and a lot of mexican people i've noticed are very sensitive to the cold and they're like i'm not going to swim in the winter no way I swam. I would get a little chilly sometimes, but to me, it wasn't too cold to swim. Sometimes I thought it would be nice if this were warmer. But So there are those beaches okay. that are just a little bit outside of La Paz. And uh, yeah, the city itself, it can be a little run down in places, but also quite picturesque. So it's an interesting mixture of sometimes abandoned buildings, but then beautiful murals and very picturesque buildings. So it's a mix. But there's great food and fun places to hang out. Some of the places that I like to eat are, again, you should definitely eat seafood. And a tip I want to give you is Baja is famous for its fish tacos, right? But one thing to know is that you can really only get fish tacos during the day, (laughs) not at night. Oh, Like as a rule, the fish taco places close early in the day. And one place that people really like to eat fish tacos is a place called McFisher's. They have all kinds of exotic (laughs) <laughs> that doesn't no. sound particularly there's all Spanish, kinds of exotic but, uh... tacos on that menu and i actually don't even eat seafood that much normally i do eat it in baja though because it's so fresh and so that's a favorite place for people to eat mm-hmm. fish tacos and then you also see a lot of little stands that just pop up in the evenings Little seafood stands where you can get ceviche and clams are also very popular to eat. So if you're in the area of the Malacan, you'll see these little stands like off the Malacan in various places. I don't really eat clams, so I don't have a particular one to recommend. I did eat raw clams on a boat ride that I took, and I'd never have to repeat that experience. I just did it just to say I did. But the captain had just dived for the clams and okay. we ate them, but they're very popular in La Paz. And there's a restaurant I also really liked called El Canton Chilango, and that serves Central Mexican okay. food. So I've spent a lot of time in Mexico City and Puebla, and I love the food from there. So that's for kind of more non-Baja Mexican food. A couple places right on okay. the Malacan, I would say probably one of the most popular places that people go to get seafood is called Bismarcito. And that is always filled with people night and day. And I did eat there once and it was very good. I also like a place on the Malacan called Harker's, which is just a more casual hangout spot. They have good things, good pizza and burgers and good veggie options. And they have a balcony. You can sit up above and look down at the water. And, but there's so many nice places to go. 
And then where I usually stay in La Paz, I usually try to stay close to the Malacan because I travel with my dog and I like to take her down to the beach. We usually would go down to the beach a couple times a day. And there's a neighborhood that I really like called Esterito. That's spelled E-S-T-E-R-I-T-O. And that's pretty hip area, a little on the pricey side, but a lot of nice Airbnbs to stay in. And a lot of nice restaurants and close to grocery stores and close to the water. So I really like it there. There is a hotel. There there are a lot of hotels. When my sister came to visit me, she stayed in the Hotel Seven Crowns. There's one right on the Malacan. There's also one in the Esterito neighborhood. And she liked that. Hotels. Now, if you're traveling with kids, hotels are a nice option because they have pools And the pools are usually quite nice, and you can sit out by them. Funnily enough, the pools are usually unheated, and so there's never anyone swimming in them. But they're nice to have anyway. Another hotel that has a pretty pool is Hmm. called Hotel El Mordo, M-O-R-O. And that's next to a pretty good restaurant and bakery called Birdentino's, which is the apostrophe R-E-N-T-I-N-O. All right. So... There are other side trips you could do from La Paz. And if you wanted to, one could include spending the night either in the town of La Ventana or in a little place on the way to La Ventana. So La Ventana is a bit south of La Paz. And there's a little place that I stayed in the Sierra Cacachilas above La Paz, and it's on the way to La Ventana. It's called Rancho Cacachilas. And that is a really unique place to stay. It's a ranch that's got all kinds of activities available, mule riding, hiking, mountain biking. And they have these amazing glamping cabins that you can stay in that I found to be very restful. Apparently, the night I stayed in a glamping cabin there, there was a big, huge windstorm that kept everyone awake. And they were worried the tents were going to blow down. And I just slept through the whole night because I was so relaxed in my cabin. (laughs) And they have these monthly farm-to-table events where you can go and then also get a discount on the lodging there. But I really enjoyed my stay there. And it's owned by Christy Walton, who Hmm. is a philanthropist. She has a lot of different projects in Baja. And she married into the Walton family of Walmart fame. And so this is one project that she does. She owns Rancho Cacachilas. And they work with a lot of local ranchers to teach them sustainable ranching practices, for example, and good practices with Hmm. water. So I enjoyed it there. And then La Ventana is a town, it's about so 45-minute drive from La Paz, and it is famous. If you're a kite surfer or a windsurfer, you probably know about La Ventana because that's what it is most famous for. Hmm. So I think in the 80s it was discovered by some... Californians who started set it up as a windsurfing place and since then people have been flocking there to do that. I had never seen kiteboarding before so the first time I went there and saw all these people on kiteboards I was like wow Mm -hmm. it was quite a sight. (laughs) I don't know that anyone will ever get me on one but they're fascinating to watch. Oh yeah. Somebody who knows what they're doing on a kiteboard. It is really it's really fun to sit at one of the restaurants on the beach and watch them kite there. And I'm looking at a picture that has more kite boards yeah. than I have ever seen before in one picture. There's so many of them. And it is very wow. windy there. 
And apparently my friend who lived there says once the wind (laughs) dies down, the place becomes a ghost town. But (laughs) when it's windy there, there are a lot of people there and more and more every year. You'll never get me on a kiteboard Hmm. either because I would probably die within two seconds of getting on one. But it's a good place if you're a paddler, for example. And also, it's becoming a hub for mountain biking because there's mm-hmm. this club called La Ventana Mountain Biking Association. And they have built at least 100 miles of trail and probably more. And I've biked mm. some on those trails and hiked some on those trails. And they are really beautiful. And there's a trail I really mm. like that I would recommend if you like hiking. And it's not hard at all. It's just a lot of bang for your buck. It just parallels the water and goes up on some cliffs above and then down to a beach, and it's called the Punta Gorda Trail. I really like that hike. And also at the base of the Punta Gorda Trail are some really unique hot springs that the hot springs come out when the tide is low. And so people have to dig them out. And then there's all these little pools, and they're very hot very hot, actually. Some of them are scalding. You have to put your toe in them before you go in or you could really burn yourself. But those are really unique. And I've never been the one to have to actually dig the hot springs out. So I don't know how hard that is. I've always gotten there when people have already dug them out. I've only seen that one other place, which was Hot Water Beach in the North Island of New Zealand. Where yeah. the hot springs are literally under the wet sand. It's a really saying. unique experience yeah. to yeah. sit in those okay. and just be at the edge of the ocean like that. So mm-hmm. I really enjoyed that experience. And then there are lots of good places to eat in La Ventana. One place that I really like is called Las Palmas. And that place has some of the best margaritas that I've ever had in my life. Some of the strongest, too. And really good seafood. <laughs> If you decide to stay in La Ventana itself, there's plenty of Airbnbs and a really unique hotel called Hotel Nomada. That's actually in El Sargento, which is a town adjacent to La Ventana. And that's a very pretty hotel with each standalone unit is its own little house that's decorated in some different theme like a Morocco and Africa and maybe India. So that's La Ventana, possible side trip or possible overnight from La Paz. And after three days exploring La Paz and the beaches near La Paz, possibly going whale watching, possibly doing a tour to Isla Espiritu Santo, snorkeling with sea lions, whale sharks, walking on the Malacan. And then you head down on your way back south to a town called Todos Santos. And Todos Santos is Mm -hmm. in the foothills of the Sierra de la Laguna Mountains, and it's on the Pacific side. And so it's got a whole different vibe and climate than La Paz does. It's different Mm -hmm. in one way also because it's a lot more touristy. It's got a lot more kind of purely tourists, whereas La Paz has a lot more Mexicans at least my friends who live in Todos Santos are telling me that. And, right. and they say that big busloads of tourists come in from Cabo every weekend. And she described, my friend who lives there described it as being a little bit like Disneyland. <laughs> and are they going to visit the Hotel California? And, oh yeah, there's a Hotel California there. I went there. I remember it being nice. But it's not really the hotel that was talked about in the song, was it? There is debate about that. Is being associated with it, but 
<laughs> but it is part of the pilgrimage, I think, to Todos Santos, as I understand. Yeah, there is debate. Anyway, Todos Santos has a very cute town, very charming, lots of shopping. It's an easy place if you're an English speaker because it's just more geared towards tourists a little bit. There's still an active fishing mm -hmm. industry in La Paz. And there's a fishing beach called Punta Lobos, which is fun to visit. There's some nice hikes that go from Punta Lobos. And I had a sort of a quintessential Baja moment there. I was camped out nearby and we bought a fish from one of the fishermen coming in and then cooked it right there in our camp. And I had never done that before. And it was so good. Even though we had no ingredients, the fish was just so fresh that it tasted delicious. And there's some beautiful viewpoints. You can Got hike it. from there and you can also just hike a long way along the beach. But it's also that right at Punta Lobos, it's a little indicative of what's going on because they built a fancy hotel right there. And the fishermen who use that beach have been pushed off to one side and there's just a little parking lot where they can go. So hmm. this is a sign of what's going on there. There's different beach areas mm -hmm. you can hang out at in Todos Santos. And one of my favorite things also that I did last time I was in Baja was to go to Todos Santos and go to a kind of she beach restaurant called The Green Room and watch whales from the shore while having drinks and delicious food at The Green Room. And you can see so many whales from ashore in Todos Santos in the season. It's just amazing. Almost anywhere you go, you just see a parade of whales. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, because you are back on the Pacific side again. Mm -hmm. and, but I hadn't been aware. I had been to Toto Santos before, but I hadn't had that experience of seeing all those whales from the shore. Hmm. And I really enjoyed that. And it's even better watching whales when you have a glass of wine. As so many things are. <laughs> so I enjoyed that experience eating at the green room. It's best to make a reservation there if you can. Like so many places in Mexico, businesses in Mexico use WhatsApp to communicate. So that's a messaging app that people use there. And I think they take their reservations over WhatsApp. And then a place I stayed okay. last time I was in Todos Santos was called the Cerritos Surf Town Hotel. And that had little cabanas right on the beach. And it wasn't even that expensive for that kind of lodging. It was maybe $100 a night. And Todos Santos is more expensive than La Paz, and Baja in general, I think, is more expensive than mainland Mexico. But I really enjoyed that hotel. I liked being able to see mm. whales right from my room. There was a very good restaurant at the hotel and other good restaurants on the beach there. So I would definitely recommend that place. And Todos Santos just has a lot going on. You can surf there. There's a lot of live music, there's breweries, there's yoga and meditation festival. And I noticed, I listened to your older episode on Baja, your guests referred to it as being like Santa Fe. And I read another description of it that described it as Taos, like Taos. So interesting. I don't know. I guess it has a little bit of a New Mexico vibe, maybe because of its artsiness. That's probably what yeah. people were making the comparison with, I would guess. So that's Todos Santos. And after a couple nights there, unfortunately, it's time for you to go back home. And when you're driving to the Cabo airport, be careful because my sister, after visiting me, was going back to the Cabo airport and she accidentally went to the wrong airport. So apparently there's like a military airport in Cabo. And if you just are setting your GPS and not oh. paying attention, 
then you might accidentally go to the wrong airport. But luckily, she made her way to the right airport and got her flight. <laughs> I would guess they would not let her no. take off a flight from that airport. Excellent. We've done the loop here. Anything else we want to tell people about Baja Sur before we get to some of our wrap-up questions? Oh, gosh. Well, I had to leave out some favorite places in Baja Sur, California Sur. Can I quickly mention those? Absolutely. Okay. So in a week, it would be pretty hard to go do this. But if you skip some of the things in the itinerary, you could also go a little further north to Loreto, which is about four hours driving north from La Paz. And Loreto has also some beautiful islands that you can take tours out to. And it's got some good food and it's a cute little town and it's got a historic mission and then just a little bit even further north of Loreto was one of my favorite places that I visited in Baja California Sur, which is the Bay of Concepcion. And so last time I went to Baja, I road tripped down from California and we stopped and camped at the Bay of Concepcion and okay. ate amazing seafood there. And it's just such a beautiful bay. And of course, there's a lot of water activities you can do there. When I was driving back up, I stopped at just some random beach and had huevos rancheros on the beach, and it was so delicious, and I really enjoyed it. I was like, ugh, I'm going to miss this. So I really love that area, too, but a little <laughs> too much for a one-week itinerary. Okay. Good to know, though. We've got a little more time. And then also another thing that I wished I had done was there's a town called San Ignacio, which is inland, and there's a lagoon there that's great for whale watching. And there's also some cave paintings there that I would love to see. Oh, interesting. And you can learn about those at the Anthropology Museum in La Paz. I forgot to mention there's a nice little Anthropology Museum that costs like six bucks or five bucks or something. Oh, even less, maybe three. And there's a free art museum in La Paz. But yeah, I would like to see the cave paintings next time I go. And you can take various types of expeditions to see the cave paintings. You can go on your own, or you can take a mule trip there, or overnight camping, all kinds of options for that. Okay. Good to know. As we get to some of our wrap-up questions, you're standing in the prettiest spot mm -hmm. in Baja California Sur. <laughs> I, I don't always remember to put the California in there. <laughs> Where are you standing, and what are you looking at? Oh, my gosh. That is such a hard question. Let's see. Well, I would have to say that one of the prettiest spots I stood in was in that canyon, San Dionisio, in Santiago, standing, looking out at this gorgeous okay. freshwater pool surrounded by granite ledges and big boulder granites with no one else in sight. Excellent. One thing that makes you laugh and say only in Baja California Sur. Let's see. Uh, one thing that kind of surprised me is that hot dogs are extremely popular in La Paz. They sell hot dogs on the street. Yeah, and apparently they're quite really? good. I'm mostly vegetarian, so I don't eat the hot dogs, hmm. but they come highly recommended. We've talked about Mexican hot dogs recently on the show in yeah. San Diego, and they are quite good, yeah. but I did not know it would be a La Paz thing. Okay. 
And if you had to summarize this region in just three words, what three words would you use? Let's see. Gorgeous with lots of unexpected treasures. Yeah. <laughs> that is Gorgeous. not three words, but <laughs> treasures. Okay. Natural treasures. <laughs> friendly people. Got it. Gorgeous f- treasures friendly. <laughs> Excellent. Our guest again has been Rebecca Agowich. And Rebecca, your Substack is really where we're going to find your work. So I guess it's not so much that you need to give me a link to your best work, but we'll just subscribe to your Substack and then we'll be on your mailing list. I yes, think is the way it is work. free to subscribe to. Excellent. And do you have a particular Substack that you have written recently that, that we would enjoy? Well, I did write about my solo road trip back from La Paz to Seattle, or I live in Bellingham, Washington, just north of Seattle. So I wrote about that. And my pug, Millie, is always prominently featured in my blog. She's my comic foil. So I wrote about our road trip back to Seattle, which I had never done a road trip like that by myself, something quite that long. And I was quite nervous when I first drove down the Baja Peninsula it did that with a friend, but then I knew what to expect. And so it was pretty empowering that I did it myself on the way back. And we've been talking about Baja California sewer being south in case you people didn't figure it out. But I'm, we've got a smart group of people listening here. But the peninsula itself mm-hmm. is almost as tall as the state of California. I think it's not quite as tall, but it's yeah. you've got a fair amount of length before you even get up to the U.S. if you start way down in, in Baja. Excellent. Thanks so much for coming on Amateur Traveler and sharing with us your obvious love for Baja. Sure thing. Thank you. A special thanks to the patrons of the show who help support Amateur Traveler financially for as little as $5 a month. They get the episode early, no ads version of the episode, and a monthly Zoom call with me and my everlasting appreciation and thanks. If you're interested in becoming a patron of the show, go to patreon.com slash amateur traveler to learn more. I heard from John from Toronto in the recent episode we did on Toronto, who said, I really enjoyed Aaron talk about my adopted hometown. Like Aaron, I moved here from Ottawa and have come to really love the city. A couple of minor corrections. Aaron spoke about the Toronto I don't know if I should say Toronto or Toronto, sign at Old City Hall, one of Toronto's oldest buildings. Old City Hall is across the street from New City Hall, and that is where the Toronto sign is. The Bata Shoe Museum was built by the Bata family who made their money making shoes. Bata brand is sold worldwide. Casa Loma was built by Sir Henry Pellet, who went broke building the palatial home. And I disagree with Aaron's comment that downtown Toronto doesn't have much to offer. There's so much, including the St. Lawrence Market, amazing restaurants, and the oldest buildings. Very vibrant, as so many condominiums have been built in the core, with tens of thousands now living downtown. Personally, I would avoid Young Dundas Square and the Eaton Center, very touristy and offer nothing that one wouldn't see in a mall anywhere else. Agree that the neighborhoods are the best to visit to experience the city. The beaches is another one. Lots of other great museums to visit, including the Art Gallery of Ontario and the new Little Canada Museum near Young Dungas Square, 
perhaps the only reason to go to the area. Aaron also didn't mention Toronto's PATH system, a huge underground system connecting 75 buildings and more than 1,200 stores, restaurants, and services. Best to visit during the workday Tuesdays through Thursdays. You can go from Union Station to the Eaton Center and beyond. Also fun to visit the Yorkville neighborhood, which is full of high-end stores and good restaurants. So much to see and do. I knew some of what John said, including the PATH system, although as a non-Torontonian, I got very lost in the PATH system, as I recall, and I think I find the PATH system to be more helpful in the wintertime when I don't really want to go out into Toronto's weather. But thank you so much, John, for your contribution. And with that, we're going to end this episode of Amateur Traveler. If you have any questions, send an email to host at amateurtraveler.com, or better yet, leave a comment on this episode at amateurtraveler.com. And thanks so much for listening. I got to see one more cathedral. I got to sit in one more cafe.